Shut up and sit down. By all means, go for it. Have fun. Just bring it People are coming together more and more and more and more as the government has been failing us more and more. I'm against being shitty to people. You can't research your way into understanding somebody. One way or another, I'd rather have the fight now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Fight for Liberty Live. Tonight, we have a kick-ass activist for you. But first, as always... We're going to talk about the people that pay the bills. Uh, so, Nug of Knowledge, uh, they are a wonderful place for you to get all of your cannabis needs uh, or most of your cannabis needs. We've got Delta 8, CBD, CBG. Uh, they even have like some CBD honey on there, which is awesome. I put that in my chamomile tea at night while I'm reading 1984 to help put me to sleep uh, or some Iron Rand. That'll really knock you out. Uh, so go on over to Nug of Knowledge and then look up Ayn Rand. Use promo code F4L and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Uh, and that helps out the network, the show, and other awesome liberty activists you know and love like Tom Queter and Dan Berman. Uh, so go on over to Nug of Knowledge. And then when you're done with that, uh, check out KempForMaine.com. Uh, Harrison Kemp is a really awesome activist and a partner in free speech media. And he is running for governor of maine so you can uh go on over to his website or go to kempformaine.com slash fight for liberty and uh there's a, a link there for you guys to go make a donation if you want to help him out uh, he's already got some really cool endorsements like the Maine cannabis coalition he's working with some awesome people from like ron paul's campaign and former uh state house reps from maine so go on over check him out uh, i'm really excited i think we I think Maine is going to beat New Hampshire and Wyoming and all the other states and be the first one to go gold. So I'm excited about that. Go on over, check them out. And then, uh, well, before that, actually, right now, before you watch any more of this show, if you're watching this on YouTube, click the link in the description to go on over to Odyssey. Watch this stream over there. You can't see this on Facebook right now because we're still banned from streaming. Uh, YouTube's probably going to do the same here pretty soon. So go on over to Odyssey. Check us out over there. And uh I'm excited about the show. Uh, tonight, we have the founder of For All Tennessee, former chair of LP Tennessee. He's working with Students for Liberty. He's doing a bunch of awesome stuff. Josh Eagle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, David. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, so I usually start off the show with kind of like a, an intro testimonial question. So I'm curious, who got you uh, plugged into the LP? Uh, that was a while ago. So it's uh, the story, I think, for me started in 2012, as it did with most people that were in our generation with Ron Paul. Um, he didn't actually get me involved in the Libertarian Party. It was just more an introduction to the ideas. Um, in 2012, I was kind of, you know, a volunteer for his campaign and very passionate about, about the ideas of libertarianism. He introduced me to those concepts. But it really wasn't until 2016 with uh, Gary Johnson and Bill Welch's campaign for president mm -hmm. that I saw a viable path to the Libertarian par Party being kind of uh, relevant in national politics. And honestly, it was it was Gary Johnson that that in motivated me to to, to get involved. Um uh, in 2016, I uh, it was June of 2016. I decided when I I, I think it was there CNN town hall. I watched and uh, you know I was familiar with the ideas and I was looking out for him. I voted for Gary Johnson in 2012. I showed up at an LP event in Knox in Knox County, and it was uh, five guys sitting around a table 
on their phones, all of them. And uh, I walked in and I was sitting, my, my wife was with me and we sat down and we were talking to them. We're like, so what, uh, who, who's in charge around here? What is going on? What's this event? What's this all about? And you're like, nobody's in charge. Uh, do you want to run it? <laughs> so, and I'm sure you've heard that story a million times, right? But um, uh, it's, it's all yeah. too familiar with the libertarian right. party. So uh, I have to ask, was she already yeah. your wife at the time? Did you, did you bring her or did, were you guys still dating and you ran the risk of introducing her to libertarians? <laughs> Um, we had just recently been married. Um, uh, we got married in 2016, so it was, it was new, but I mean, we've been dating since 2012. So she had, she's very, she's very, very familiar with, uh, my political ideas and we share those. Um, nice. I actually, uh, I'm more of a minarchist classical liberal and my wife is more of a, uh, what I would describe as kind of a, an anarchist in a way. So she's actually a little bit more radical than I am. Based. Um, all right <laughs> yeah so um but no i mean the, the the rest is history we we took we 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 started working in the knox county lp in 2016 we uh grew that to be the largest county affiliate in the country um which we had 80 90 people there coming to, wow. to county meetings at least nick told me that in uh, a convention in 2018 that it was the largest county affiliate in the country uh, we got to meet great people like uh glenn jacobs who we mm -hmm. were kind of pivotal and say in electing as mayor even though he was elected as a republican um, and we, I don't know, I'd say built a, a name for the, the, the brand of libertarianism in the state of Tennessee there. Um, and then, uh, you know, I don't know how much, there's a lot of history. So, I mean, uh, at that mm. point it was LP chair and then uh, for all came after, but uh, a lot of things kind of kicked off by Gary Johnson in 2016. That's awesome. It, it's great that, uh, that you were able to come into that kind of a situation, which for a lot of people, you know, going to a meeting, you know, five guys sitting around a table all on their phones, not doing anything, no, no real structure. That's kind of a turnoff for most people. Uh, Libertarian Party has a way of kind of really instantly finding those diamonds in the rough because they're the only people that are going to stick around after that kind of stuff. And, you know, you were actually motivated to go on and continue if you uh, stick around and get into leadership in the LP, it's um, it's a time suck. It costs money, mm -hmm. um, and it's 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 a lot more work, honestly, than any other paid job that I've had. <laughs> Just to be honest, with you. Uh, in the drama and emotional and emotional uh, effort that it takes mm -hmm. to do, <laughs> so it's fun. So all of that considered, uh, what about liberty makes you want to go through that time money suck and and keep on going on with the LP? Uh, so you know, full disclosure, at least as it pertains to me personally, today I'm I'm not really directly affiliated with the LP. Um, I you know I still I, yeah like I still uh, I still have very good friends with many people in the LP. I support you know I did what had the the luxury of working for Congressman Amash when he ran uh, when he did his exploratory committee last year, and I'm mm. I'm. You know, if let's just full disclosure, if you ever ran for president, I would be a million percent back in. But in the short term, I'm, I've stepped away uh, from the LP directly because I think that there's other avenues that I can use to kind of like, you know, promote liberty. But oh, yeah. to kind of address your question in some way, like the idea of uh, liberty, the thing that got me motivated to join the LP to begin with, um, it, it really is. It's an existential threat. I'm sure that that's, you know, mm. I know that might sound hyperbolic, but honestly, I do believe it that to be that way. Um, yeah, I have a two week old son. And I know I didn't have a son when I got involved, but I see it as uh, the current state of politics is unsustainable uh, politically, economically, um, like our civil liberties are being under attack or literally getting sucked from us every single day. 
um, you know, the consequences are existential. If we don't stand up now when we actually can have a voice and we can actually fight, um, you know, in 10, 20 years when that is no longer the case, a lot of people are going to look back and say, what the hell? Why didn't you do it? Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it just kind of felt it always has felt like it's something I have to do, whether I want to do it or not. It's like I can. I see the problem. So I'm going to like the analogy of Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill, it, whether it results in anything is kind of irrelevant to me. It's like, I right. need to be able, I need to actually push the boulder. Otherwise I won't be able to live, sleep at night. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. So, <laughs> that's really the core. <laughs> yeah. There's a, you know, there's, I've had the question posed to me plenty of times in like a, especially libertarian, like smoke circles and whatnot of like, you know, if the blue pill gets offered to you, would you take it to, to be able to sleep at night? not doing this kind of stuff uh and you know there's times where i've been asked that question i'm like yeah yeah that'd be nice uh, i think it has a lot to do with how much it's weighing on you at any given time because i i don't know if you've had the same experience david but like for me um i've been involved in political activism now i think this is my 10th year um as of 2012 and it comes in cycles so mm -hmm. there are periods of time where i'm very motivated and i can keep that motivation up for for months and years even and then there's 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 periods where i just kind of like fall off a cliff and i have to step away from it you know and i have to just like turn that off um yeah. the end of 2020 that was a time for me where i was just i was over it you know mm -hmm. and i had to step away and that's kind of what created what uh was the reason for all came into existence really uh, with me and my partner my co-founder justin Cornett. so Right. Well, that you kind of just answered my both parts of my next two part question, awesome. which is where did the idea for For All Tennessee come from and who is part of the core inception team? Yeah, it started. Yeah. So the guy that um, that uh, so I should have actually mentioned this earlier. So when I went to that LP meeting, um, I went with Justin Cornett, who was who's the co-founder of For All uh, and my wife. And Justin and I have been friends since 2011, 2012. He and I have been doing political activism since the Ron Paul era um, in, in many different ways. Like we started a blog in 2012 and grew that into something. And then we got involved in the uh, the LP, built that. Uh, he was kind of my number two in the county and he helped mm. uh, run that region while I focused on Knox County specifically. And he focused on the other counties that were outside of it. Um, so he and I have been doing projects for a while and we have kind of, I like to say we have a bit of synergy. Um, he, I'm, I'm more on the introverted side. I'm more like the data and details guy. And he's a lot more of the, the salesman, the, the mm -hmm. people person. He's the guy that likes to go out and kind of have the conversations and, and, you know, kiss the babies and, and schmooze. <laughs> I'd like to put it that way. So he, he and I, um, he and I have been involved for a long time, uh, in doing political activism. When I was elected as chairman of the LPTN in 2019, I created a, a, a legislative committee. And the reason I did this was because for years um, we had been doing direct political lobbying um, specifically on the topic of ballot access reform in Tennessee uh, at the at the at the legislature uh, going back to 2017 when we were in the TNLP. And so he uh, I, I don't know if. Uh, Justin's background is he actually used to work for the Koch Network as a lobbyist, and he did that uh, as a lobbyist and a grassroots organizer, and he did that in Tennessee for years um, before I was even elected as chair. So when I was elected as chair, I put him in to help me with legislative operations, and he, I mean, he's a full-blown through-and-through lobbyist um, as of today. I mean, he's more of one now and more effective one now than he's ever been since I met him. Um, he's getting better every year. Uh, nice. So he and I started it together, and the vision of For All was to um, to get away from political nonsense. Um, you know, if I get, if I get too far down the weeds, David, cut me off. I don't want no, to. No, you're good. This is exactly what I want. 
Okay. So, so in it, so in a nutshell, um, I'll tell you the biggest problem that I, you know, we've had with the LPs. The LP has a lot of great ideas, but they have a very bad brand. Um, I'm sure I don't have to tell you this. Like, if, if you go, if you go to people and you talk to people about the LP, either they don't know about it or it's a very negative opinion, typically, at least from my experience. Mm -hmm. So either you're ignorant or you have like a negative chip on your shoulder for the brand. So the problem is the LP has some of the best ideas in in the political space. Period. Like mm -hmm. they they are on the right side of the issues, but they have just a really hard time getting through their bad brand recognition, and they have a really hard time communicating those issues and building uh, coalitions because they're an opposition party. I mean, you, if you're an opposition party. I'm not going to get a Republican and Democrat to say, "Yeah, I love the LP and what they stand for," because they're always trying to screw me over in some way. It's an opposition party. Right. So what we wanted to do when we started for all was we wanted to get away from politics completely, and we just wanted to focus exclusively on the issues because. When we looked at the issues, um, the issues were, uh, you know, are issues that we find mass support among the populace on. I mean, the issues that we took up in 20, uh, 2021 uh, were issues like uh, civil forfeiture, um, uh, uh, ballot access reform, um, uh, fully informed jury legislation. We had legislation to um, and, um, the, you know, like the, the governor being able to deem businesses essential or non-essential. We had bills that touched on red flag laws and government surveillance. Um, and what we found was when we got away from exclusively focusing on partisan politics and we said no politics is going to be, we're just going to talk about the issues. We found that we were able to get Democratic Socialists and Trump supporters sharing and, 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 and engaging and giving us money. Mm -hmm. And it was shocking to see the Bernie bros and the Trump, the Trump supporters in the same organization fighting for the same issues. And all it took was a commitment to step away from that completely. Um, but that, that's only one piece. So for all in a nutshell was focused with like kind of three key things that we wanted to, 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 uh, to accomplish. So we wanted to uh, focus on issues and not personalities. So we said as a, as a nonprofit, we didn't want to ever endorse candidates or get into any sort of political elections whatsoever. We wanted to stay away from that. Um, we wanted to build an organization like a lobbying group that focused on amplifying the people's voices and not like big moneyed interests like corporate interests or mm -hmm. political interests. And we wanted it to be completely crowdsourced and we wanted it to be a bottom up. So that's what we built with for all. It's basically a 501c4 political nonprofit that does collect uh, direct political lobbying um, on a legislative agenda that is crowdsourced by our members. So in a way, I call it the democratization of a 501c4. So it's like a lobbying group nice. that's been democratized. I like that. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's not anything that I've seen uh, anywhere else. I think it was a, a very innovative mm -hmm. idea. Um, and you know, we hit our fundraising goal of 10K in the first year. We passed three bills, um, which I believe were very radical. Um, one, reform civil forfeiture, uh, the civil forfeiture laws in the state. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a, a massive reform. It was something that touched on attorney's fees. So it made it easier to fight civil forfeiture cases. Uh, we got a ban, um, on the governor, uh, governors or I'm sorry, a local, uh, county executives ability to deem businesses essential or non-essential mm -hmm. during times of crisis. And then the big one was a complete ban on no knock raids in the state of Tennessee. And that was, that was our first year. So hell with, yeah, with that small budget, right? So there wasn't, it was it was a very uh, scrappy organization, and we still were able to achieve those those big wins.
So I think the model is a good model. It's just we still have to prove it. We still have to build it out. And we're actually entering uh, the next, uh, the 2022 legislative session right now. Um, session just kicked off about eight days ago. And so we'll be releasing our 2022 agenda actually this weekend. So nice. I will be looking out for that. Uh, yeah, honestly, uh, the that bit about like why exactly why you stepped away from the LP, like it, it resonates very loudly with me at the moment. Um, I feel like I'm probably where around like in, in the timeline, like where you probably were like mid 2020, um, yeah. where, you know, I actually, I just resigned from the state committee and yeah. all the campaigns that I'm on, I'm trying to move also. So that has a lot to do with, uh, that cause I don't, I don't really care about New York all that much. Sure. I don't intend on living there for very long. I don't judge uh, you for that. <laughs> Texas is is being kind of nice to me. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, all better states than New York. I'll tell you that. Yeah. See, I can't do I can't do Florida. A. Um, I just I don't like the culture, and B. I don't like the heat um it, and the humidity and the mosquitoes and the everything i don't even know if texas is going to be bearable so uh well then sounds like tennessee is your place i actually grew up in tampa and uh those cockroaches are as big as your head and they fly mm -hmm. so yeah i can't no 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 thanks not a, not a fun place to live and uh yeah mowing the yard was a traumatic experience as a teenager i'll tell you what <laughs> 110 <laughs> degrees with humidity it's not yeah <laughs> Yeah, no thanks. I don't want to live where the air hurts my face for either reason. Yeah, like that's my goal. <laughs> this is the perfect mix, man. I, I love I love being in Tennessee because I get the the you know the the kind of mild winters of the South, but you still get seasons. And I growing mm -hmm. up in Florida, you I didn't get seasons at all. It was either summer or summer light. Um, whereas here you get all four seasons and you get snow like twice a year, so it's very pleasant. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been I've spent a lot of time talking to uh, the the bootleg libertarian uh, Chris Darnell. And, oh, I know Chris. Yeah. yeah, he got involved in the LP when I was chair. Actually, um, if I remember, um, we put him in as a county affiliate. He's a great guy. I love that guy. Yeah. Um, so he's been he's been trying to get me on the Tennessee bandwagon for like six months now. He's been hounding me about moving to Tennessee, and I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Basically, my my job this year or my goal this year is just to like travel spend like a couple months in a bunch of states doing jobs like this and then pick one at the end <laughs> understood that makes sense uh it, it does make sense to let your job dictate where you live too rather than just kind of roll the dice and try to figure it out after that so i mean the one great thing about politics is that there's always work everywhere like is you can be seasonal <laughs> you know this I mean? is very true <laughs> and, and transient you know very away on a dime if somebody loses their election mm -hmm. uh, but but yeah i i've definitely noticed that so you you mentioned the like existential crisis of like why we have to be a part of this uh i'm i'm getting to the point where i feel like that existential crisis has a has a timeline that no political plan matches like, like that, I don't think that there's a way to elect ourselves into saving this system. I think we need to go some other route at this point. Uh, you know, the LP always talks about like a 50 year plan. And it's like, I don't think the US has 50 years left. Uh, yeah. Maybe could be wrong, but doubt it. No, I don't disagree with you on that. Um, but I, I guess the way that I see it is, uh, you know, when I talk to a lot of people i've talked to a lot of people in the lp about this and uh i hear that a lot 
But what the solution I hear from many people that are LP adjacent are is that we, sh you know, like it's often a, an argument that violence may be acceptable uh, at some point as as resort against state. I'm not there and I don't think I'll ever be there. And mainly because I think that as soon as you start using violence against them, you steep to their you stoop to their level and it completely defeats the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish, like a peaceful revolution. Hmm. But, uh, you know, I may not be the one carrying the guns, but I, but I know that if, if the trend continues, then, uh, whether I like it or not, or whether I am there or not, it will, there will be, um, unrest. I mean, there, there's no, there's no other way. I mean, it, mm -hmm. there just will be, <laughs> you yeah. know? So, um, I feel like we're coming down to the, like, is it going to be an us versus the state? civil war or is it going to be a red versus blue civil war uh it you know at least in my opinion in the short term it will absolutely be a red versus blue civil war there's no uh it's just our system is so screwed up i think people don't really truly understand who the real enemy is and mm -hmm. uh it's honestly in the best interest of the state to make it a red versus blue civil war uh and in a way they control the propaganda tools and mm -hmm. they have you know a lot of tools at their disposal to make that a reality <laughs> so they really do yeah. uh it's like coke versus pepsi it's right. it will always uh honestly i think i honestly think when i found out about coke and pepsi being owned by the same company that was like one of the biggest red pills i ever took i was like these people are just lying to us. These people are spending billions of dollars to shit talk their own brand just because they also represent another half. What? <laughs> what is business like at this point? Like, why are we doing this? See, I, I, uh, I'm not familiar with that. I'd have to look that one up. I wasn't under the impression that they were. Uh, but I mean, the analogy still holds true. It's if you're going to say that. I mean, honestly, the, the, the democratic. Party, the Republic. I mean, I don't have to tell you this. We're all both of the same kind of political persuasion. They're both just two wings of the same bird, mm -hmm. um, and they obviously have an incentive to uh, fight each other and achieve nothing. Uh, it's literally they 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 complement each other and work together all the time. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the political system we're in. It's fun stuff, man. But you know, uh, the way that I see it is is, is step away from that. Um, that fight is very that you know that fight is very. It's a big fight. Uh, in the short term, you know, you, you know, it is doable. I know that I can walk into a state legislator's office. I can convince them to be on the right side of an issue and I can, and we can chip away at bad laws one step at a time at the local level. And that's kind of, I know that that's within my control, right? So that's, uh, or within mm -hmm. our control as an organization. And, um, and I've seen wins. So yeah. I feel like that's a more, a better way to do it rather than sit around and despair at the uh, Coke versus Pepsi nonsense playing out at the national level. Agreed. Uh, I talked to I talked to a few different people over the last year that are doing things similar uh, to yourself and heard about like what you guys are doing um, and just seeing the the amount of work that's being done in the liberty movement outside of the party and and through legislative work and through uh, volunteerism and through like just other things I'm like that see that gives me hope <laughs> yeah um, all right. If you're gonna, if we're gonna change something, it will be at that level first. I mean, we can't. Mm -hmm. We need to start. We need to start with things that we can control, with things that we have the resources to fix, and 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 uh, and then we can scale from there. That's the way that I see it. And a lot of LP activists are in the same boat that I am. They're in the same boat that you are. We're just, we're honestly just regular people that are fed up and frustrated. Typically, we're not the wealthiest people in the world. We have limited resources, and um, 
I don't know. I, one thing I don't fully understand is why why we spend so much time getting extremely ambitious about these big national plans when we have a hard time winning a local county election or a local city election. You know, like if that's not doable, then you're not going to be achieving these big, massive cultural shifts that you that you dream about. It's just yeah. not possible. So let's get the basics down. Let's learn how to walk before we start running. Yeah. You know? Could not agree more. We do have a, a comment from the from the peanut gallery. Tuned in just in time to see David visibly disappointed that someone doesn't want to violently overthrow the government. Gotta love it. Yeah. I'm sorry, David. <laughs> I mean you're so welcome to do it. I, I'm just, you know, I'm gonna be my pacifist self and uh, you know, grow grow my grow my food and mine my Bitcoin and <laughs> hope I can I can last as long as possible. I very much respect that. I'm really like, I'm trying to work towards a nonviolent revolution, but like I, there's that piece of me that's, that's starting to get excited. <laughs> Understood. Um, you know, I, I, again, my, my perception is as soon as you go to that point, you, you really kind of start playing their game. You stoop to their mm -hmm. level. Um, I definitely you know, agree there. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, what MLK stood for. It's, you know, it's the idea that you have to be bigger. You have to be bigger than that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and as soon as you decide that you're not going to be bigger than that, it really undermines the things that you're trying to communicate to people. Because I do still think there's hope. I think that the majority of the public is craving an alternative, like a deeply craving an alternative. And honestly, I mean, this may sound conspiracy, conspiratorial, but I think the feds are looking for any reason to, I don't know if the word malign is the right word. I've had a couple glasses of wine, but you know, take, uh, to find a way to destroy this movement, um, mm -hmm. in any way possible. And so we actually have to hold ourselves to a higher standard than we hold anyone else. And if we don't do that, um, it'll be easier and easier for them to destroy us. And the reason that's the case is because we are on the right side of the ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, and we do, if we can actually achieve it and do it correctly and win over the public, we can achieve large scale cultural change, but we have to, we have to work twice as hard as they do. Uh, because we have a much more enemies, much many more enemies, so. <laughs> and much more powerful enemies. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you think about what it would take to go against the 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 intelligence uh, uh, agencies that are absolutely going to go after. You. I mean, like imagine this. Let's just say that it was it was projected that a third party candidate was going to win the presidency. What do you, I mean? Do you honestly think that that? intelligence agencies would and go nuts yeah they, they wouldn't they wouldn't take that it would i mean well even before it could get to that point which is what's going on now there would be a massive um, propaganda campaign there would be an intention there would be an attempt to plant people within your movement that try to to uh, make you look bad and try to um uh, you know like reduce the the impact of your message and try to put out hit pieces I mean, it, would, it wouldn't even just start at the, the time when the presidential election was about to be completed. From A to Z, you would be getting under assault. And I think we are under assault, whether we realize have feds in the party, for sure. Yeah, well, I mean... Like, undoubtedly. I think that there are absolutely uh, concerted efforts um, to try to undermine undermine the party uh i you know i don't i don't want to point to any people or you know like mm -hmm. say this guy is or this guy isn't but i i'd say that if if you think that they're not going to try to do that especially as we get relevant um then we might be a little bit ignorant i mean that's just an inevitability it really is so we got to be better that's the way yeah. i see it we've got to be better you know and if we're better and we just still hold to our principles and we stand on truth those values will speak for themselves so yeah 
we'll see how it shakes out. That might be idealistic, but <laughs> no, I mean, I, I appreciate that perspective. Um, so what were some of the most challenging pieces of getting for all Tennessee off the ground and, uh, kind of getting, breaking into that lobbying world? Okay. So, you know, full disclosure, you, you need to have Cornette on the show because he's the guy that does the nitty gritty of the lobbying. So I'm the guy that does a lot of the volunteer and grassroots organization, um, and the communication and the marketing stuff. He does a lot of that, that nitty gritty grassroots activism, but I will tell you, um, a, a, an anecdote or a story about what happened to us last year that I think really puts the political nonsense that you deal with in perspective. So, uh, in Tennessee, if you are a third party candidate and you want to run for office, um, if you want to actually put it this way, if you want to be a Republican or Democrat and you want to run for office in Tennessee, you have to get 25 signatures. If you want to run as a third party candidate in Tennessee, you have to get 56,082 signatures. So the state, of, the state of the law here is actually one of the highest thresholds in the country. And uh, I think it is per capita the highest threshold in the country. Um, the only two states that have higher signature requirements than us are California and Texas. And they have like, what, four times our population? Mm -hmm. like that. So we've been trying to change this law for years. And we have wide support in the House um, uh, in, on, on a reform bill that, we've, that we drafted in 2019. What this bill does is this bill takes that 56,000 signature threshold and it brings it closer in line with the rest of the country. So it takes that total and brings it closer to like 12,000. Um, the reason I say like is because it's not actually a total. It's a percentage of the votes cast in the last gubernatorial race. So we take right. that 2.5% requirement and we make it half a percent. So it takes that 56,000 down to like 12,000, something like that. So we got this bill written, right? We got this bill introduced when I was chair of the LP uh, in 2020. Um, we had great support. Um, we had, I want to say, like a quarter of the House that were that were willing to pass it. Um, uh, a little, a little bit more in the Senate in 2020. It didn't work out in 2020, but in 2021 we started for all. We we included that in our legislative agenda for the first year, and we had it introduced. You know how the committee process works. I'm sure with with legislation, your bill has to go through several committees before it mm -hmm. makes it to the House floor. So one of the key committees that I had to go through in the Tennessee legislature, um, uh, because we're a supermajority state, it's run by a Republican. We worked so hard on that eight-person committee to have five yes votes, enough to pass it. Uh, the day of the vote, we had confirmation from every single person in that committee that we were going to pass that, that they were going to vote for that bill. Um, the bill was introduced. It was called up for a vote. One of our yes votes stepped out of the room, leaving us with a 4-3 majority. So we still had the majority we needed to get through the, the passage. Um, the vote was called, and four voted yes, three voted no. And the Republican chairman said, the nays have it, and killed the bill. So like, what, what do you do in that situation, David? You, you've done... You've literally passed the bill. Like you've literally gotten the votes, right? Um, and the bill was still killed. So that's the dynamic when you're wow. trying to do anything, anything that I would deem as radical or significant. Um, you fight nonsense like that, right? So, I mean, they literally say, oh, I misheard the voice vote, which they obviously didn't. I, we went back and got on the record um, statements from every single person that voted yes. We provided that to the chairman and asked him to reconsider it. No one was going to reconsider it. So we're going to bring it back this year. Um, 
you know, that is a bit of a spoiler, but our, our members did authorize us to work on this bill again this year. So it will be reintroduced. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, that is, uh, that kind of shows you that those are some of the challenges that we deal with when doing the legislative, when they're doing the legislative lobbying. Um, I personally am a very passionate and, uh, not really the type of person to like hold off on my opinion. So <laughs> I was actually told by Justin that he need, that he needed me to uh, be at the legislature less legislature, legislature less because I was pissing off. Some of the people there. So, uh, you know, when it comes there to, we go. yeah, when it comes to the day-to-day -day challenges, Coronet is a good guy to ask, and I can obviously get him on your show whenever you're ready to talk. Um, <laughs> Would love to, yeah. But he he definitely has to deal with some craziness, uh, some of just the nonsense, nonsense like that. Um, hmm. I mean, the good news is I think we generated hundreds of emails and phone calls to that that gentleman's office after the fact, and he knew that he screwed up. Um, and he, well, he knew that people were aware that he screwed up. Uh, hmm. We had a hundred thousand hits on that uh, on the content that went out about it, and so there was some attention. Nice. We'll see if it happens again this year, though. You know, it's going to go through that same committee with those same people. Um, and uh, they're all going to vote yes again. So we'll he, see how it takes up. He can't try to do the same thing twice, right? I and mean, he I, can, can he? I've, I've, been, uh, I've been shocked many times. It, it really is shocking, especially when you're in a state like Tennessee where we have a Republican supermajority. It's a good old boy system. Um. You know, if they decide they don't want something to work out, they'll they'll do anything to make, to make it the case. They write the rules, man. You mm -hmm. know, very true. Uh, so I I feel like one of the the main issues that the LP has, or just the movement can have, is that as you start to research liberty in general, you start to realize how many things are fucked up and how many things we need to fix, and it becomes. A little crazy and we end up like buckshotting basically everything that we do and you know all of our candidates have like 87 platform planks and uh no one no one can tell you their top three issues uh and then you went and created a, a organization called for all tennessee so it gives you the ability to definitely do that how did you how did you pick like the kind of things that you actually wanted to focus on specifically Okay, so in the, in the so the, the mission statement of the organization is we focus on legislation that empowers people and limits government. So in a nutshell, if it doesn't fit into those boxes, if it's not something that empowers individuals and reduces government power, we're not going to work it. That's the foundation. Uh, the first year, um, it was driven by a lot of polling of the people that we knew were our donors, uh, like our initial donors and people that were in our movement. This year, it was a very it was a very clear process. So, our legislative team put together about fifty potential reforms that we felt like fit within that window, uh, or that fit within that mission: empower people, limit government. These were issues that we had aggregated from our network for the last year. So, these are things that people came to us and said, "I would like to see you work on certificate of need laws," or uh, "I'd like to see you work on citation in lieu of arrest or bond reform." I mean, they all came, you know organically people came to us and said, we, they want to support these issues. So we put these all, we did some research, put these all together, identified what legislative reform would look like for each one of them. And then we basically, uh, you know, did a quality check with the board and said, Hey, uh, which ones do you think are doable? Which ones do you want to veto? So the board kind of said, all right, out of these 50, out of these 50, we narrowed it down to like 40. We took that. And then we, we went to our advisors and our advisors are a mix. So it's about half, it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, I want to say it's like 60% independence um, with about like 20% uh, uh, Republicans 
and 20% Democrats. So there's a, a, a political, like even political split in the advisory board. So we, we put it through that system to make sure that uh, we didn't offend any specific political group. And it was something that actually had mass appeal. Mm-hmm. They killed one issue, just one out of the 40. And then we gave it to our members and said, which ones are you going to authorize us to work? And they killed two and ended up with like 37 issues total that we were able to work. We took that list. We went to our partners in the legislature, um, our, you know, the members that we knew we could introduce legislation, our partners like IJ, who helps us write a lot of legislation and other partners. We uh, decided what was viable, what wasn't. We narrowed it down to, I want to say it was about 15 issues at the end. And, uh, that's what we're going to introduce this weekend is the the bill, the summary of those kind of like 15 core issues that we think we can see change on this year. So hmm. it went through an arduous process to like to, 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 to really check two things like, you know, do our members support it? Is it true to our mission or three things? Does it, do our members support it? Is it true to our mission? And is it uh, is it, you know, nonpartisan? Is it something that is mass appeal? And anything that checked all those boxes made it to the final cut. So. What were some of the things you were considering uh, when working with, like, in that last stage when taking it from, like, the 39 down to 15? What was some of the things going through your head about what makes it viable or not? Well, it's it, there, there was an element of, like, can we get someone to sponsor or put their name on a bill? So, like, what does mm-hmm. it matter if I want to, say, introduce a bill to abolish the federal, the state government? No one's gonna. No one's gonna introduce it, right? I can't get. I can't get somebody to put their name on it to actually get that bill on the floor. So that was a big one. Can we get people to put their name on it, get a bill introduced on the floor? So that was the first thing. Um, and then there was also a viability and a resource thing, uh, question. So like, of the issues that we can get introduced, which ones actually could make it through committee theoretically, and then which ones um, do we have the means to work? Like, there's a value in uh, bucketing issues that are in similar committees. And the reason that's the case is because in a committee, there's eight people. So mm-hmm. we can have conversations with those eight people over and over again about these core issues and make sure that they are very aware of our values and maybe get those issues through. Whereas if we say choose 20 issues in 20 different committees, multiply that by six, what is that? 120 issues and mm-hmm. six committee. Yeah. 120 people, something like that. So yeah, then we have to have those conversations with all those people and we have a small team. Like I have one key lobbyist that's Justin Cornett and we have something like five to eight volunteer lobbyists that kind of come in and help us year over year. That numbers very fluctuates and it's volunteers. So it's not like we mm-hmm. can assume they're going to be there all the time. Right. So that, those, those are kind of the things we thought about. Um, and I'm sure Justin could give you even more considerations on that because uh, you know uh, he, he was there day to day talking to these lawmakers, having these conversations um, and, and really identifying what, you know, what's feasible and what wasn't through those conversations. Nice. So, uh, I can give you a snapshot of what that ended up being. I can't give you the exact bills cause they're not all final yet, but I can at least tell you kind of the high level. Ooh, do we get spoilers? You can get some headers. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot of CJR stuff. Um, we're going to do civil forfeiture again. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's not a surprise to most people. Um, we are going to touch on on bond on the broken bond system in Tennessee. Uh, we are going to touch on qualified immunity. Um, we are going to do something we didn't do last year, and we're going to try to pass a bill on uh, medical cannabis and cannabis decrim. We're going to do ballot access again, 
And then we're going to touch a little bit on imminent domain reform and some work on um, restricting space use of facial recognition. But that's a small piece. There's still some more Ooh. stuff. Yeah. So fun stuff. I mean, we'll yeah. see how it checks out. I'm excited. Uh, you know, if you if you're able to legalize cannabis in Tennessee, I might actually move there. <laughs> right now, there is a bill that was introduced that would do full legalization. Um, I would love to say that it's possible that that bill is going to get passed, but I do not see that as viable in the short term. I, I do think they might do a decrim bill, though. I mean, that's completely possible, like completely possible. I mean, honestly, as as a good little anarchist, that's all you really need, right? That's actually Justin's argument. Um, yeah, it's like decrim is actually better than full-on legalization because there's really no infrastructure there for the state to get in, get their paws to regulate it. Mm -hmm. It just kind of says they're going to stay hands off. Um, you know, I personally think that there are people that'll that are making like they're building families and making a living off of this really legitimate industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'd like for them to be able to operate legally because it's, it's a lot of um, tax revenue the state could have. It's a industries that could move here and uh, bring jobs to the state and, you know, mm -hmm. and build families. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot of farmland, man, <laughs> like a lot of farmland here. Oh, so yeah. it's a completely, if we're going to do it, it's a great state to do it. But, yeah, unfortunately, decrim bills usually only touch on like possession and use, not sale. Right. right. Uh, sale is typically still criminalized in most cases. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you might be, get a slap on the wrist or a little fine, or they might just let you off if you're trying to, you know, exchange less than an ounce. But uh, yeah, if, you, um, if you're trying to sell it, typically decrim bills don't touch that. Yeah. So, yeah. New York... Uh, New York did some weird things with their legalization and it's still not fully legal. Um, but the, but New York city had, had it decriminalized for a while, but it still, it was basically just like the cops aren't going to mess with you unless they want to. <laughs> so I'll give you an example of how it's, it's similar in Tennessee. So Tennessee, super majority Republican state, every single lawmaker out here talks about how much they love small government, small government, small government, small government. Mm -hmm. The city of Nashville, a couple years ago, passed a decriminalization ordinance that said, hey, we're going to decriminalize in the city of Nashville. Um, the state legislature came in and said, no, you ain't. And they overrode <laughs> that law. Wow. So, small government, right? You got to love the uh, state stepping in and telling cities and counties how they're going to operate. But that's that's the way it is in Tennessee. And that sounds similar to <laughs> kind of stuff you see in Northern States all the time. It's Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and that's the thing, like the way that New York operated was that like NYPD couldn't really give you a ticket. Uh, ba basically what they, what they do in New York because it's so bureaucratic is they end up making the, uh, they basically like drop the quota, like the amount that a thing is towards the police's quota. So like on the internal stuff, stuff that they're not allowed to actually tell you exists or they're doing and externally it makes it look like basically they just make the cost benefit and analysis shift to where the paperwork and the time is not worth the pats on the back that you're going to get for making that arrest. Um, so NYPD isn't going to touch you, but we still have, four federal agencies and and the state troopers that operate within the within the city of new york so 
if they catch you, they will likely they they're very likely if there's someone in the area and they feel like it to just like pass you off to a state trooper uh, who's usually got a patrol car somewhere within a couple blocks also and can uh, and now you're even in significantly more trouble. Gotta love it. <laughs> Gotta love it, man. That's yeah, that's some ridiculous nonsense. And then we went from that to being able to smoke in public anywhere that you're early allowed to legally smoke cigarettes. That That's where we're at right now. <laughs> when did that law change? Um, last year, late last year. Um, or I guess it was probably like September or so of 2021. I think that went through. Uh, we still don't have stores. We won't have stores until like mid-23 is what they're saying, because uh, it's going to take them that long to figure out how to tax us and regulate it into oblivion. But in the meantime, possession and consumption is legalized. And yeah, public consumption is included. So anywhere that it's legal to smoke a cigarette, which isn't, which is only like maybe 40% of right. the state, right? It was in uh, 1970, right? Like, you know, you can't do it anywhere anymore. Yeah, because, yeah, you can't do it within X, like, a very large amount of space from a school, uh, like within 15 feet of any doorway or opening to any public building, uh, nowhere inside, pretty much anywhere. Uh, like in New York City, you can't even smoke a cigarette in your own apartment. <laughs> That's illegal. I love New York, man. Gotta it's love it. Ridiculous. Hopefully by the time that 2023 rule kicks in, you'll be out of there, right? And be able to yes. be in one of those more free states in the South. Yes. I mean, it's funny though. See, people say there are more free states in the South or they are, what is a, uh, they're more economically free, but when it comes to those social issues, it's really backwards down here still. I mean, it's shocking mm -hmm. to me that you could drive two hours away and buy a substance, a plant completely legally, and then come back here and you could literally be put in jail, had your kids taken from you um, just for consuming a, plant that grows out of the ground it's complete nonsense it's like 15 years behind reality but i do think it's highly likely that the federal government will act on this before the tennessee government the legislature will sadly i hope i'm proven wrong this year but mm -hmm. we'll see how it shakes out i mean i i do think decrim's viable but legalization that's probably gonna have to come from the feds before the the super majority down here is is ready to do anything so and i mean I feel like it's likely that the feds don't go all the way to where we'll still have to do it in all the rest of the states as well. Uh, you know, if, if they just like kind of decriminalize it, like move it, remove it from schedule, you know, like, mm -hmm. like deschedule it and then let the states do their own thing. That would be an ideal situation. That would be, that could be done with the stroke of a pen. If Biden wanted to do it, he could have done it on inauguration day. Mm -hmm. He didn't do it at all. You know? So could Trump. Oh, absolutely. Trump could have I know I know a lot of people that after Trump lost were really hopeful that he would just like go nuts and like do a bunch of crazy shit. Uh, and there was I had some friends and some of whom had actual like connections to Trump and were like trying to get meetings with him uh, to try to get him to deschedule cannabis because we we're like, bro, just you've got like a month just like you, you want to really fuck over Biden and Clinton pardon snowden and assange yeah, absolutely that and was ross albrecht right just like go nuts no, instead Do of doing that shit. he pardoned he pardoned the people that that broke the law to help his campaign so i mean i i don't know man this also is uh, in the realm of conspiracies but since we're 
since we're here and I'm drinking some wine, we're having we're having a nice chat. Say that I think that Trump was controlled opposition from the beginning. Like 100%. I think that I think that that Hillary Clinton asked him to run in 2015, 2016 because she thought that he was going to make it easier for her to get the nomination. And mm-hmm. so uh, when that didn't shake out, change of pace. Um, I don't think it by any means was he a anti-establishment candidate. I think he was playing ball the entire time. Um, he just had a different style and, uh, and it worked for him. So, yep. but no, I think he was controlled opposition from the beginning that he had no, he didn't have an anti-establishment bone in his body and it was clear by every action he took. Um, mm-hmm. so I sad. very much agree. Um, uh, I guess the, the little bit of hope that I had in that time frame was like, if he, depending on how much, how much on the in or it, like in the know he was, he they could have been like lying to him and pretending like he was gonna win and then just kind of like took it from him and he wasn't really expecting that and his reaction i couldn't tell if it was semi-genuine or or if it was still playing into that and i guess i had like a little shred of hope that he would like want to get vengeance on the the people that propped him up and then tore him down uh but we saw that not happen so well uh you know i think it was a debate i think that there was a conversation between mitch mcconnell and the republican establishment and trump after all that um you know bs election fraud stuff uh they they were like hey listen um either you're going to play ball with this you're going to proceed with 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 not you know having any disagreement or any problem with this or we're going to go ahead and impeach you and you'll never have any possibility possibility of ever being elected ever again and he made the decision to do that i, I don't know i mean controlled opposition he's still a person right he's still mm-hmm. that trump he's still trump who we know like who we know who the public have known for like 40 years like the guy is an egomaniac, and uh, yeah, he really will take any opportunity to boost his own ego, boost his own brand, and enrich himself. <laughs> so, I mean, whether or not he was hanging out with the Clintons before he ran still doesn't change the fact that he's Trump, you know? Uh, yeah. And he may have had a hard time with the, the, the not to be to lose. I don't know. I, this is all conjecture, right? I mean, who the hell knows? <laughs> Yeah, I I mean I I feel like at this point like I just debated a flat earther on uh, Fight Club l- last week, so this is this is vi- just dipping our toe into the conspiracy <laughs> waters as oh, far sure. as Fight for Liberty and free speech media has been going lately. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I just find it funny. I came here to t- say we're going to talk about issues, and uh, we're we're back into the Trump talk, but it's fun. <laughs> it's it's just an inevitability. You got to love it, man. Amen. <laughs> Um, but back into the issues, um, you, you've talked a lot about, uh, criminal justice reform and, and that kind of being a a main focus of, of for all Tennessee and even some of the stuff you're doing, uh, before that, how are you working on promoting, uh, criminal justice reform in a blood red state and kind of crossing, crossing those bridges? So, um, you know the issues that we focused on very strongly have been have been around civil forfeiture um, and jury nullification, um, like conscientious acquittal. Um, mm. The way that we we we, we uh, and obviously no knock raids, which was a big one. Um, honestly, we have a an, you know an interesting environment. I don't think I think many Republicans in this state understand that our criminal justice system is broken. We just kind of have different opinions on how we fix it. 
Um, our governor has has talked a lot about reforming our broken criminal justice system. We have a prison overcrowding problem in the state of Tennessee that's bankrupting counties across the state. When I was chair of the LPTN, we had elected officials. Uh, one of our libertarian elected officials was is the mayor of Charlesdale County, and I've had many conversations with him on on the cost of just prison overcrowding and kind of what the financial impact is to counties and how, you know, how that can really cause problems for not only executives, but just people there. Um, so I don't know, here's the way that we see it. It's, it's a mass. We, we only focus on mass appeal issues and civil forfeiture is one of those things that when you, when you hear the, when you hear about what it is, mm -hmm. it is so obviously wrong. So I know that you're probably aware of what it is, but for the sake of your audience, uh, you know, civil forfeiture is the idea that um, if, if, if law enforcement believe that you use property in the commission of a crime, whether that's like a vehicle or cash or your, um, something of that nature, then they can seize it uh, and then require you to pitch, petition them to get it back. So there's a story out of um, Sevier County in Gatlinburg uh, of a woman about 10 years ago who, um, who got her inheritance from her 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 grand, her late mother, um, she was driving uh, to the bank to deposit it, something like ten thousand dollars, maybe a little bit more than that. She drove. She was driving to the bank, and she had a bag of antiacid pills that she apparently crushed up for some use. She got pulled over in Sevier County. Law enforcement saw the cash, saw the crushed up antiacid pills, claimed that they were a narcotic. Um seized her inheritance and then she had to go through a multi multi-year process to kind of claim re, you know uh request that money back um it was proven that she wasn't under the influence of any substance it was proven that that was uh, anti-acid and not heroin or whatever the hell they thought it was mm -hmm. and even after those things were proven tennessee law enforcement still kept her money in the bank you know kept it so I think eventually she did get it back after after uh, over a year fighting and the mass amount of legal fees. But I think anyone that hears that story, uh, I says there's something wrong. Like that's not the way the law should work. Uh, we are built on the principle of innocent until proven guilty, and it's an extreme violation of that. So, you know, those are the types of issues we take on because those issues those are black and white. I mean, those are very clear. I mean, you talk to anybody and it's, it's not ambiguous. We're not talking about, Oh, I want to defund the police or have some sort of radical model. No, I just literally want, I want due process of law and I want people to, to be able to have access to their, you know, have access to life, liberty, and property. And I, you know, we need a restrained government that needs to operate with due process. And that's very simple. So that's kind of the approach that we take. And those issues aren't hard to, bring people along with you on. I mean, when you talk mm -hmm. about that story, it's very easy for a leftist or Trump supporter or a standard conservative or a libertarian to come and say, yeah, we need to work together to fix that problem. And that's what we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, and the same thing with qualified immunity more and more nowadays. I mean, that you think would be more of a hot button, hot button issue with the right, but it's not really um, as controversial as you might think. I mean, uh, the idea that um, that law enforcement have some extra protection so that they don't have to be liable for mistakes that they made, whereas everyone else has to, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a controversial opinion. So that's those are the kind of issues we take on, and that's kind of our approach at how we kind of bring people together to focus on on reform. I like it. I like, yeah, I 
I have been pleasantly surprised by how, uh, you know, I'm working on a Republican campaign right now. So everyone I'm talking to is, is a registered Republican. Um, I've had some interesting conversations about about policing and uh, specifically about um, qualified immunity. And yeah, it's it's Republicans, the like the people, not the elected officials or, or county leaders or anything like that but just like normal republicans i feel like understand like they respect the police but they don't trust them right like they they have that little bit in the back of their head that like they still work for the government and the government is still dumb so <laughs> they're the ones that show up to confiscate your guns right yeah. So, you know, we have to respect them and we have to pay them better and train them better. And we can fly flags that are a mockery of the American flag and break every U.S. flag code imaginable uh, with a little blue line down it. But like they shouldn't be not liable for the fuckery. Like if they do fuckery, <laughs> they should be liable for the fuckery. And it's yeah, it's a pretty simple, uh, pretty widely accepted, I think, stance at this point. Absolutely. Um, and then an and another issue that you think uh, might not be uh, well, I mean, this is something we've seen mass appeal on as well is is jury nullification. Are you familiar with the idea of how that works? Have you ever heard? Of I that? am. But for okay. the viewers, again, yeah, the please viewers, go for it. For the, yeah, the idea that so, um, you know, juries are, were intended when they were created to not only, um, you know, make a decision on the law or, you know, like enforce the law, but they were, they were there to deter, you know, kind of determine the law and the facts of the case. So what that basically means is, you know, in, according to the original inception of the way juries were supposed to, to operate was juries were, um, they weren't there to just blindly enforce the law with an ax. You know, you know, they like, they were there to consider the intention and they were there as kind of the last vestige to protect, uh, uh, the citizens from immoral laws, right. The, the last, mm -hmm. the last line of defense. Over time, that's been completely bastardized. Like uh, nowadays, if you tell somebody that you understand nullification, basically nullification in a nutshell is the idea that uh, somebody is guilty, but I'm going to choose to acquit them. So they're not innocent, but they're but they're not guilty, right? So mm -hmm. they're 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 nullified. The, the law is nullified and they're acquitted. So an example would be like you know grandmother 80 year old grandma smoking cannabis because she has she's doing um you know chemotherapy and she needs to be able to eat right mm -hmm. um putting her in prison for that would obviously be like a moral tragedy when she's literally just trying to use medication to to eat and stay alive and and sustain herself um and so juries should have the ability to kind of look at that situation look at all the factors and say yeah she's guilty but should we enforce the law it's like is it moral is it right and so in Tennessee and in many states, if you even acknowledge that you, when you go into being a jury and they start to interview you, if you even acknowledge that you understand what nullification is and how it works, you'll be thrown from the jury. You'll be completely removed from the process um, before, during, and um, I don't know if they could do it after. That's up to somebody else who's smarter than me to answer that question. But before and during the case, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. so um so basically, what jury nullification? We have a bill um, made, uh, who was in, which was introduced by one of my favorite people in the House, who's no longer serving anymore. His name, Representative Martin Daniel from East Tennessee, that basically um, said that if requested by a defense attorney, 
the judge could inform juries in the state of Tennessee of their right to nullify. So if the defense attorney said, hey, judge, I would like to make this inform the, ju the jury about this, the judge could go in and say, yeah, we're going to inform the jury. In this case, you need to be aware that you can nullify the law. And so you can imagine the impact that that would have with a variety of immoral laws or laws that just are applied incorrectly. Mm -hmm. um, again, that one's that one's a, that one's been tougher to get through the legislature, but it is one of those things that when you talk to conservatives, when you talk to liberals, libertarians, it's one of those things. People are like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's a reason we have the jury, and uh, you know, they're not there to blindly enforce the law; they're there to protect us from bad laws, really. And that last line of defense. And so this really, you know, jury nullification is just reinforcing their ability to do that. Mm -hmm. um, powerful stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of like Spooner and I'm definitely an anarchist. And I, I, I think the constitution's kind of a joke, but if we still operated like the way that the country was originally designed to operate, it would be a fuck ton better. Like they did a lot of really interesting things like juries with the, with the concept of jury nullification like they didn't they didn't need to have that like at the in 1780 like they could have just skipped right over that not thought about it and like we wouldn't well, I mean, have it, that so it's worth mentioning this is one of the reasons why nullification is still around today that it, it wasn't even i mean it, I, I think that the founders were aware of it but there isn't a provision that you could find in, in law or in the constitution that says uh, you have the right to nullify. It was actually a consequence of like natural law. It was a consequence of the way that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like English common law. Um, mm -hmm. So it's actually just like uh, the way, way I put this is that the, the, it doesn't have to be enshrined anywhere. And I'm not a legal scholar. So you have to bring somebody on that would be able to tell you a little <laughs> bit more about this. But it's it's um, it's set up in a way that you, you, know, you can't fight it. That's one of the reasons why they just really want to screen you uh, to find people that are ignorant on the topic, because no matter really what they do, they can't make it illegal. It's a consequence of the way that the English common law was set up and the, and kind of the foundations of the constitution set, nice. set it up to be possible. Um, <laughs> I could, I, I could find a great resource for you on it and send it to you, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm probably Please not do. Uh, cause I, I'm very curious. It's, it's interesting. Uh, so like I've heard of, about, jury nullification obviously like uh from a few different people and like within the liberty movement and stuff but the first time that i ever heard of it was actually watching i believe it was the show scandal okay it was either scandal or how to get away with murder one of the two my my ex made me watch them both um and we basically at the same time but i'm pretty sure it was scandal yep um there's a case where even though like you're saying in a, in a lot of cases you're like it's very controlled and you're not allowed to inform people and this and that uh one of the people that works for the law firm that the show is based around like left pretty much like a printout of a of an article about jury nullification like on the bench outside so where the jurors were gonna like sit during recess for a second um to like inform people secretly about this and they get caught and they actually get in trouble for leaving that there and i remember watching it like this was probably 2017 so like i was a, i was a libertarian but i was still just barely <laughs> yeah um you know maybe two ticks down from the center line like you know we're, we're just starting um 
And I was just like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. How are you getting in trouble from the good guys? Like her boss is yelling at her for doing this. And I'm like, you're the good guy right. of the show. And you're actually like trying to enforce that the well, rules that's actually, that say you can't like what? That's actually something that has happened in real life too. I mean, there are people that uh, have gone to courthouse steps and hand out flyers to jury jurors um kind of talking about like here are your rights as a juror um there have been many legal fights on this uh because they those people have been arrested and, and and prosecuted for like jury tampering right when it's really a first amendment issue like they should be free to educate juries on their rights <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that but there are restrictions on what you can hand out literature you can hand out on court on court court steps uh, around the radius of the building and i mean it's been a fight in many states in many different um many different times but yeah i mean it's you think that'd be common sense right but it's not yeah. that would be a fun uh like organization somebody watching can start this organization where you go and you like analyze somehow like maybe ai or something just like analyze all the court cases going on and all the ones that should be nullified and then set up activists to go actually just voluntarily get arrested for informing the jury of their right to nullify. <laughs> well, the issue is that at that point, we need it. We need Adam Kokesh. Right. Just... <laughs> I love Adam, man. Um, the reason, the reason, uh, the reason that would probably be difficult to work is that as soon as uh, the court found out that the jury was aware, they would be thrown out the jury. Mm. <laughs> so you'd have to do it secretly somehow, but I love where your head's at, man. You got to make it happen. I love it. I love All it. right. Somebody watching figure, figure out what I'm missing here and make it a thing. Do it. Oh man. Uh, so what would you say to people watching who are, you know, kind of where you were in 2020, uh, thinking about stepping out of electoralism and working, uh, either more lobbying direct action or, or activism or something like that uh how how would you advise them to kind of figure out figure out that path like which way you want to actually go with it that's a that's, a, that's kind of a hard question um you know i would recommend that you do it uh i guess here here's i would boil it down to this like if you think you can make a difference and you see a path to make a difference chase that um I know a lot of people, and I've had a lot of conversations David, with people in the LP that have said, I've spent years doing this, I've spent thousands of dollars, and I haven't seen any impact and change. What am I doing here? I mean, you have to like, put it like it's, it's not only a conversation about impact for the sake of impact, but it's also a conversation about can you sustain your own effort? So if you're a libertarian mm -hmm. activist, um, you know, if you burn yourself out, you're worthless to your family to, you know, to, to the, to the cause, to the movement. Uh, you, you know, you can't, you can't do that. You have to, people have to have some degree of wins. They have to have some degree of impact. If they're going to feel like they're fighting a futile effort forever, that's just not going to last. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'd say um, find something that you can change and can impact, even if it's very small and, and, and chase that first show, you know, prove to yourself that you can, you can actually move the needle in some way. And then when you can kind of get your arms around those, those smaller things, then scale, you know, don't go completely for the big pick, you know, the biggest, the biggest challenge first, don't go for the governor's race or the presidential race or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever that may be, start with something that you know, you can change, uh, you know, get your hands dirty, learn something, get out of your comfort zone, 
um, and get out of your bubble. Try to meet people that aren't that don't think the way that you think, and, uh, and 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 keep doing that. And eventually, you'll find that that will that will bring you to bigger things, whether you like it or not. And so, I don't know. That's that's kind of the way that I I see it. Is if you're if you're uncomfortable, it's a good thing. Um, and if you're out of the bubble, it's all it's even better. And and if you're if you're making real change and you're actually impacting things, that's really the goal. Um, a lot of people in the LP they kind of lose sight of that. They just they chase like Twitter likes or mm -hmm. Facebook likes, and they have no impact on anything. I mean, and I'm not using that as an insult. Like it's just they they a lot of people in the echo chamber love what they're saying, but it has no impact on culture. It has no impact on law. It has no impact on real things that actually change the future of society. And so we got to like recenter yourself. Yeah. Sometimes stepping away from the from the echo chamber and from the movement can help with that. So I don't know. I agree. Uh, I think I, I will say that I think the existence of the echo chamber uh, is kind of nice sometimes. Like uh, I, I can liken it a lot to like a youth retreat for like a, a church youth group of just like stepping back into that like everyone agrees with you everybody's kind of excited about things and like everyone's doing the thing and to get kind of charged back up because if you deal too much with like normies and duopoly people you can start to get like sucked back into that world it's good to have your people man it's mm -hmm. like i'm not a religious person but i was a pastor's kid growing up um it's like church mm -hmm. you know you go to church on Sunday and you get hyped up and you got your friends and your, you know, everybody that agrees with you and you guys are all talking about the same values and it gives you the energy to go spend that week not doing that. Um, yeah. You know, maybe a bad example if you're more agnostic like I am, but I mean, it's the same concept. It's like, but everyone, everyone still gets that. I mean, yeah. I'm also agnostic, but yeah. you know, every, everyone understands that concept. And the thing is, everyone understands that the bad Christians are the ones that are only really Christians at church. Sure. Sure. Right. right and you gotta and, go take those values outside of church for sure right and i think we do a lot of the same thing you know we we go or not not we you and i necessarily but you know a lot of people get caught up in that you know i'm a libertarian twice a month for my state and my county meetings and then you know the rest of the time i'm a, a this or i'm a salesman not, or, yeah they're not living their values they're not voting their values they're not really doing anything about it except for liking some posts on facebook i mean you really if, if you believe it's existential, which it is, you have to live that way, man. I mean, you have to spend, you have to think about that every day. What can you do to push the needle? What can you do to kind of like make things better? And you have to take your life, your life, you know, your energy and kind of put it towards that in your day to day. I mean, it's, it's not fun. I mean, sometimes you got to take breaks, but no, yeah. I, I do like, I do like the analogy of church because that's the way I always feel about it. When you want to go to an LP uh, conference or an LP convention, it's like, Oh yeah, we're all there. We're getting hyped up, and that's what gives us the energy to kind of go into the next year, um, or go into the next couple months. You know, yeah, fun stuff. I'm trying to trying to get to as many conventions as I can this year. I did four last year plus YALCON. I'm trying to beat that number this year. You we'll should uh, you should come to Liberty Con this year. We're gonna have it at the end of October and some big names. So uh, it's back after COVID. It'll be fun. Students for Liberty. I will. I will do my best. I was supposed to go to stu the one uh, last year, and um, lots of things went wrong like that week, um, <laughs> like literally like the couple days before that. Like my life just so I didn't make it out there. But uh, hopefully this coming year. 
for sure. Next go around. Next go around. So yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good stuff. Um, I I've been to too many LP conventions. <laughs> I've got a I've got a, a 14 day old baby downstairs. And so this year may be the first year in a while that I'm not going to make a national LP convention. Um, but we'll see how it goes for next go around. <laughs> oh, come on, the, the national convention of libertarians is a perfect place for a four month old baby. It's just exactly where they should be. See, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic, but, uh, <laughs> start up. You got to start them young, train them up in the way they will go. Like, I just don't know if I, you know, want them around those libertarians. They're scary people sometimes. man. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair, but there could they're great, be, kids. they're great people too. They're very good hearted, but yeah Ooh, they're intense i tell you what that is fair <laughs> uh so before we wrap up tell people how they can find you and for all tennessee and also uh get involved if they're anywhere as close to tennessee or i don't know if you need remote volunteers too no absolutely so if you're across the country we obviously need financial support and if you want to sign up to volunteer we'll let you know if there's opportunities remote or otherwise but uh, you could go to foraltn.org uh, that's our website. You could follow us at 4alltn on Twitter. Just look up 4alltennessee on Facebook. Um, on 4alltn.org, you'll you'll um, see at the very bottom of the page, if you scroll down, that there is a uh, opt-in where you can get email updates, get um, uh, action item updates on how to volunteer. Um, and then there's obviously a donate tab. So we need all the financial support we can get going into this next legislative session. So if you can help donate $5, $10 a month, I mean, $5 a month will get you membership. So you actually don't have to be a Tennessee resident to vote on the agenda for next year. Um, but $60 a year, $5 a month will make you an official member. Um, otherwise, yeah, no, uh, just give us a follow, engage with our stuff on social, keep an eye out for those calls to actions. Cause really the big, the big things that are going to matter is when we have another situation like that ballot access bill that maybe goes through a committee and has a pivot point, Mm -hmm. making a phone call or sending an email even if you're not in tennessee can go a long way so uh, you know we'd love, yeah. we'd love to have you on the list to shout out uh adam kokesh for a second time in the last like 15 yeah. minutes like we saw what what calls and emails and reaching out to people did uh for him this year already uh you know charges dropped and legal precedents to drive an unregistered vehicle without a license <laughs> in that county going forward nice. like like he, not only did he get away like i feel like a lot of libertarians would consider like just paying a fine and going or, or maybe getting off without a fine as like a big W. Like, no, he got like written permission to drive there without a license. <laughs> Gotta love Adam, man. He's like at the nexus of all these big fights and uh, he somehow makes it on top. Um, it's <laughs> he's still going, dude. I remember, uh, not to derail us too much because I know we're closing, but I remember one of my earliest memories in the Liberty Movement was, um, was him doing his March on Washington and getting arrested in 2012 because he had a shotgun in DC <laughs> and he's still doing shit. Man. I'll tell you what, it's so funny to me. So, uh, I, I have to like, I have an extra appreciation for Adam because when I joined the party in the movement, I hated him. Like I was, I was all of the terrible things that Mises says about the Prags. Like in 2016, when I joined, like I joined the LP because I agreed with them on guns, drugs, somewhat on war ish and like the basic constitutional conservative stuff. Right. I was a very baby libertarian. And so for quite some time, 
I was still like, these anarchists are retarded. <laughs> and and like somebody who wants to take the party that could do something cool like Gary Johnson, uh, some something awesome and libertarian like Johnson Weld, and we're going to go do this dumb bullshit of like, we're going to dissolve the federal government on day one. And I hated it with a burning passion. <laughs> and now I am who I am now. And I have to just like eat my words because uh, some of this has been said like, on the earliest episodes of the show, like I started the show when I still didn't like Kokesh. So uh, yeah, I have to eat my words on that one. I, and yeah, it's <laughs> interesting how you could start there and end up, you know, like after multiple years, kind of like understanding the philosophy at that point that you go to that extreme. Mm. I, I, I honestly, dude, I, I have an appreciation of anyone that is going to help me push that boulder. So um, anarchist or minarchist or whatever, if you are like pushing against the state and you're wanting to do it, mm -hmm. I am. I'm loving it. So uh, that's the way that I see it. And I no exception for Adam. Adam's a little bit uh, un, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, non traditional in his approach, uh, <laughs> very radical. Um, and so, but you know, he's a, a personal friend of mine. I've I've met him many times. He's been in LP conventions, and I you know, I've I have some respect for him for sure. <laughs> so. Uh, always a good time. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for coming on. This was great. Uh, definitely we'll have to get Justin on to talk the other half of it. Uh, but I am really excited by what you guys are doing in Tennessee. And just the I, I think you guys are setting a really important precedent that like just a, a chunk of money and a handful of people that actually want to do something can radically do something in there like you guys are doing statewide stuff like this isn't even like township bullshit like right. you guys are making a difference statewide uh that's awesome build bridges man that's the goal so um yeah keep an eye out this year and for your audience we love your support i appreciate you giving us a platform and um you know hope to see you again soon my friend yeah, for sure. I will. Uh, I'll try to make it to Tennessee. I, th I think I'm actually going to be at your state convention if you're going to be there. Yeah, I may be there. I I do think the only thing that's going to keep me from being there this year is going to be travel because my new job has me traveling, and I think mm. there might be a conflict. But I am planning to be there with my wife and my little baby. So yes. Hopefully, we can hang out and talk, man. Sounds like a plan. Right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. If you don't already. Because uh, it shit's been scrolling across the bottom this entire time, so you should already have followed Josh and For All Tennessee. But if you haven't yet, do that. Uh, like this video and share it with everybody, uh, and then go to foralltn.org and make a donation because they're doing awesome work, and we love it when people do awesome work. And then uh, come back here next Tuesday where we have Josh or uh, sorry Jonathan. Too many J names in the Liberty Movement, bro. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Howe, who's running against AOC on Tuesday. So that's going to be really exciting. Uh, yeah. Thanks for watching. Catch you back here next time. Until then, keep up the fight. Shut up and sit down.